Romans chapter number 8, if you'll find your spot there, Romans chapter number 8, and uh, we are looking forward to finishing up here through verse 13 this evening. Brother Al is coming down the middle aisle. If you need an outline, he'd be glad to hand one to you. We'd love for you to follow along with us. Romans chapter number 8, and uh, we won't do much review. We're just going to dive into it this evening. Glad you're here. Appreciate you being here, and uh, always a great study in Romans. What a fantastic book we have the privilege of studying and uh, gleaning from. Romans chapter 8, if you'll notice real quick, and you see it there on your outline, again, make sure you give Brother Al's attention. On your outline, we've already seen the first couple points here. Obviously, uh, those are reversed. But anyway, the new reality, and uh, thanks to the new law and a life of freedom. And then number two, going in reverse order there, the new nature, thanks to the new life and a life with a spiritual focus. We've looked at this, then we started these A, A, B, C, D, and so forth, all the way through A, a carnal mind versus spiritual mind, carnal versus five and following. A carnal person is dead while a spiritual person is alive. A carnal person is at war with God, enmity with God, while you and I have the uh, privilege of being at peace with God. Such a great truth. Boy, yeah, these are just tremendous truths. Uh, Lord, a carnal person is doomed to a life of pleasing self, while you and I, we get to please God. We get to bring Him pleasure by pleasing God. And then letter E, a carnal person is void of the Spirit, where the spiritual person is identified by the indwelling Spirit. And as we talked about this last week, we you know, talked about how you and I are able to accomplish the submission and surrender to the Holy Spirit. And having the Holy Spirit is then easily demonstrable because you and I can submit, we can surrender to the, the guiding, the leading, the direction of the Holy Spirit. And that sets you and I apart from uh, those who are unsaved. It's a crucial part of you and I being believers and children of God. And then we saw letter F, um, the carnal person is dead in his body and spirit while a person, a spiritual person is alive in his spirit. And I think this is where we ended up as we saw a couple of videos and the wrong presented manifestations of the Holy Spirit in people's life. It's not uh, the, the holy laughter we looked at, the speaking in tongues, the jumping up and down. No, it's not emotionalism by which the, the filling of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated. That is by righteousness. Christ came so that you and I could live holy lives. And when we get that, when we grasp that, I'm like, whoa, that makes sense. The Holy Spirit's in me to help me live a life of righteousness that's pleasing to God. And so it's a neat how God has just worked this whole plan out. It's really a simple plan that in some ways Paul makes complex, and yet the reality is sometimes we have a hard time wrapping our minds around it. So Paul kind of pulls it apart for us and helps us to understand. Now, verse 11, let's tag on to it. Let's see what else Paul adds to this, these truths. Verse 11, but if the Spirit is him that raised up jesus from the dead dwell in you he that raised up christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you and here's where we jump on to uh, letter g here before us but as we read verse 11 does something jump out at you uh, something very honestly unusual for the book of romans it's, pro it's a minuscule observation, so if you didn't um, notice it, you get a pass real quick, okay? What we find in this verse is only the second occurrence of the name Jesus in the entire book of Romans. We already had the first one that was in Romans chapter 3 and verse 26. You can look back there if you want, but it says this, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. So here before us, we have the only two occurrences that Paul even pens the name Jesus in this letter. 
Well, the name Jesus is immediately strikes us and we kind of classify it as, as Christ's uh, human name. In fact, it was God who spoke to uh, Christ's parents, Joseph and Mary, and Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. So this is the human name, and in fact, as it is, it's the name that you and I can most identify with because it really is representative of his greatest place of weakness. What was Christ's greatest place of weakness? Well, taking on flesh. He took on the weakness of human flesh. And that name is associated certainly like that. He was tempted, he was tried in his flesh like you and I are and uh, will be, but he was without sin. And there is encouragement, and that's what Paul's alluding to here. And here, if you think about it, here's his point. In that state of weakness, in that fleshly body, the Holy Spirit came and raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And the point is this. The same Spirit that has the power to raise Jesus Christ in death has the same power to help you and I live. And it's the same Spirit that's indwelling us. And that's Paul's point. He says, listen, friends, you and I have indwelling in us the Spirit that raised Him. In fact, this is how we have it in the statement here. The carnal person has nothing in common with Christ. Yet you and I, a spiritual person, we enjoy the same divine agent that raised Christ from the dead. He indwells me. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? You and I just got done celebrating. Boy, what a fantastic Sunday it was. And many of you have commented to me about that. Just the whole day, fantastic, enjoyable, worshipful, and uh, just a great Easter and Resurrection Sunday and things. And it certainly was. And we celebrate the amazing act of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And, and yet that very same spirit by which he rose from the dead indwells us. You and I can live every day righteously. You and I can live in a way that pleases God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't ever sell the Holy Spirit short. Because with His power, you and I can do anything in Christ. We can live for Him. We can please Him. We can talk to that mean neighbor. We can witness to that family member that doesn't want to ever hear. We can, we can live righteously. We can say no to sin, as we'll see even tonight. This passage bears out. But we can do that. Two important truths I want you to see. First of all, the use of the name Jesus tells us that Paul is speaking of Him, that's Jesus Christ, personally and specifically. So when he uses the term Jesus, it's the one that we identify with and say, wow, yeah, Christ was weak here on earth in his flesh, and yet he was without sin. The Holy Spirit certainly helped that. But we also understand that, that as we refer to that as the human name for our Savior, it was he that was raised personally. Because there's some weird some weird theories to try to explain that Jesus who walked on earth is the different Jesus that rose again and everything else. No, they were one and the same. And that's what Paul's pointing to here. That Jesus, it's that Jesus, the one that you saw and, and, and walked among you. It's him. It was his body that was raised. Not two different people, not one that walked throughout the hills and streets of Israel and one that came out of, out of the tomb. No, it's the very same Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. 
So he establishes that. He wants us to be crystal clear that it wasn't a different Christ or anything. No, no, it's the same one, Jesus, who was in the flesh, who the Holy Spirit ministered to while he was in the flesh. And then did you notice what else Paul does in this verse? He goes the very other direction. How does he refer to Christ or Jesus later? Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, we could re- reference it. He signifies by the use of the name Christ in the latter part that he is indeed the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the one that will be glorified and exalted for all of eternity. I like what Peter said in his Pentecostal, or the day of Pentecost, excuse me, the day of Pentecost message in his preaching. He said this and made a very powerful, bold statement in Acts, recorded for us in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, human name, Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Man, the powerful message that, that, that Peter was giving. He said, listen, that Jesus is the Lord and the Christ. The same thing Paul was doing in our present passage. Eh, don't miss it. Uh, he's saying Jesus equals Lord and Christ. It's him. The one and the same. And that's what Paul does in this verse. So very crucial, very important truth that Paul is hammering away at that Peter did in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. But secondly, this is what I'd like you to see too. This verse and the ones that follow it, the two, imply through their message that the Holy Spirit can give us victory over the law of our members even now. Now, we were introduced to the law of our members in the prior chapters. And now he's saying, listen, he, yeah, yeah, he's going to raise you just like he raised Christ. But not only can he do that, but he can help you today. He can give you power today to defeat and have victory over the law of our members. Um, there's no doubt as you and I search and scour the New Testament Scriptures that while Jesus Christ walked on this earth, the Holy Spirit ministered to him. The, uh, the Holy Spirit came alongside in his earthly soldier. And one of the, the key points was around the time in the wilderness when he was tempted. There were other times that Jesus went off to pray and the Holy Spirit ministered to him. There were times when he went into the mountain, the Holy Spirit uh, ministered. Obviously, the one indicative of that is when the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, as the Scriptures describe for us. So we understand that as Christ was in a mortal body like yours and mine, what did the Holy Spirit do? Ministered to him, empowered him. And came upon him, literally, the Bible describes, and the self-same Holy Spirit does the same for you and I. And we have that power uh, indwelling us. So he will not only make you and I alive at the resurrection, but friend, he can make you and, a lot, you and I alive now. What does that mean? It means that you and I can live abundantly. We can have life abundant here on earth. And I'll tell you, my friend, listen, how many humans try to have life abundant through their own efforts, their own uh, attempts to do that? They can eat money themselves, fame and possessions and everything else. You could try to have life abundant here on earth any which way you please, according to what man says. But I'll tell you, friend, the only way you're going to find it is through the Holy Spirit. He gives life because he has the power to raise someone from the dead and he has the power to give life and regeneration and he has the power to give life to you and I on a daily basis as we plug into his power to live victorious over sin and all the disgust and the taintedness of this world and our old sinful nature. And boy, I tell you, Paul is just preaching and giving us some great, great doctrine uh, for living the Christian life here, depending upon the Holy Spirit. Um, You see... This precious truth 
is presented so that you and I will say, you know what, I can surrender and submit to the Holy Spirit. And as I make out that determination, wait a minute, I'm different than Joe Smo, who's an unbeliever. I'm different than my co-workers and maybe some family members that are unsaved or people I know. They can't submit and surrender to the Holy Spirit because they're not spiritual. But I'm a believer. I've been changed from the inside out. Therefore, I can submit and surrender, and then I can get to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, and I, daily I can present my body a living sacrifice and bringing glory to Him. And my friend, I'll tell you, that is a truth to get excited about. That's a truth to say, listen, wow, this is amazing that God has worked this plan so wonderfully for each one of us. Look at verses 12 and 13. I want you to see this. Uh, you see it on your outline. Now, what happens? Well, Paul comes to verse 20, 12 and 13. We'll comment here in a moment, but you see the dividing word in verse 12. Therefore. So we put it this on our statement. Verses 12 and 13 on our outline speak of the personal action that we are to marry to the ability of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's just got done speaking and talking about what the Holy Spirit has done and changed in us and the ability he gives us now to please God. And then this is amazing that I can do these things. I can have victory over my members. And he says, okay, so if you're going to have victory, here's that action. Here's how it happens. Here's how it works out or plays out in our lives. Look at verse number 12, if you will, with me. Notice what he says, chapter 8. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body... Ye shall live. Great statement. It's a call to action on Paul's part. Literally, let's tie it all together. Paul's saying this, okay, therefore, here is how you submit and surrender to the Holy Spirit. You want to get plugged into that power that gives you victory in life. As a believer, you want to have victory over uh, sin and the flesh? Okay, here's how it happens. If the Holy Spirit did all of this for us, He's changed us in such a way, now we can get plugged in by exactly this call to action that He gives us in this passage. And it's a call to action that rests upon the foundation already built by Paul in this letter. See, Paul's established for many chapters here, specifically the beginning of chapter 8. He says, listen, the Holy Spirit has done all this. That's the foundation upon which you and I can respond in action married to the ability of the Holy Spirit. This is a truth, and I want you to see it here. This is a truth that, that spreads throughout the entire Scriptures. In fact, the whole Christian experience that Paul expresses and demonstrates to us here. In fact, we put it here in our outline. Notice the statement. Any exhortation, any exhortation or command given by God to us, it rests upon the foundation of previous blessings and promises given to us by God. This is the truth that, that is true all the way from Adam and Eve to where you and I live today. Okay? Any exhortation, any command that God gives us, it rests upon the previous blessings and promises that have come from the hand of God. It's amazing truth that God has already given us everything necessary to obey. He's kind of paved the way, if we might put it that way. He provides us and equips us and, and allows us and empowers us to do what He calls us to do. 
It's his prior provision and promise that makes the fulfillment of his command or exhortation even possible. You think about it, as I said, even from Adam and Eve to you and I today, the fact is this. Everything he's commanded and exhorted us to do, God has already given us blessings. He's already equipped us in many ways to see that achieved, have success. But I sure am thankful, and we've mentioned it often, but let me remind you, I sure am thankful that we have a God that sets things in front of us for us to do that are doable, that are possible. And this is the point that Paul's making. For instance, we could go back throughout the Scriptures. When, when God commanded the, Egyptians, the Israelites to leave Egypt, He paved the way, didn't He? He, he made it possible for them to leave, to depart. Uh, furthermore, when God uh, commanded the Israelites to go in the promised land, you know what the Scriptures tell us? That God went ahead of them and cleared out the people. Now, he did it one of two ways. The scriptures literally say that God says to Israel, listen, I've gone before you to prepare that promised land. I'm promising it to you, but not only am I promising, I'm preparing it for you. You know what he did? He went into that land, and there are some people groups that physically he totally removed. And yet there's other groups of people. You know how he defeated them? He put fear in their hearts. He put fear in their hearts. You remember what we read about in in the promised land? What did the people say that they had heard about Israel? What happened in Egypt? You remember that? Hear God in the Red Sea and all that happened. And and many years later, they had heard all that God... God went before them and prepared the way. Pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, and it happens all throughout scriptures. Time will not allow us to talk about Egypt. What about the apostles in the early church? God says what? Go into all the world and reach every creature, teaching and preaching and baptizing them. And then what does he do? Well, before they even start, God brings two things along that make that possible and a great success. Number one, the Holy Spirit. He blesses them with the Holy Spirit. And then a little bit later on, after they have the Holy Spirit and they start to establish the church, you know what one of the greatest things brought and allowed by God to spread the church and help them fulfill the Great Commission? Persecution persecution and even god allowed and i think in many ways god did so that the church would be able then to spread and go around the known world and spread the gospel now let me also encourage you this way my friend when you and i read the bible maybe before you were saved you read parts of the bible was like there's no way i could live like that there isn't any way you can of yourself But that's why when you are saved and regenerated, you have the Holy Spirit that helps you and allows you and empowers you to live in a way that pleases God. Boy, any exhortation or command given to us by God rests upon previous promises and blessings, gifts from the hand of God to see them accomplished and established in our lives. And it doesn't stop there. Have you noticed, and I'm sure you have, the book of Romans in the first many chapters, is not full of a bunch of practical uh, application, exhortation and commands. That's really not what we have studied. We're in chapter 8, and can, can I tell you, if you were to study the entire book of Romans, as we're going to do, okay, uh, we'll find out that until you get to Romans chapter 12, you don't get a ton of exhortation and application. Here's a a rare occurrence in this passage. There's an exhortation we're on right now. A challenge to do something, an application. But this is is really these first 12 chapters. 
Paul is establishing to a tremendous degree. And you might say, well, man, this is just time after time. It just seems like Paul. Yeah, what's he establishing? God's blessings, God's goodness, God's uh, provision. So that when we come to Romans chapter 12 and he says this, present your bodies a living sacrifice. We have a huge bedrock of foundation upon which we can do that. And that's what Paul is establishing as we build up to such a truth. Paul not only does it here, but in Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul presents to you and I all the spiritual benefits, all the spiritual things that we have because of who we are in Christ. He comes to chapter 4. You remember what he says in verse number 1 of Ephesians chapter 4? He says this, Now walk ye according to your vocation as you're called. So here's everything you have in Christ. And boy, you have these blessings, you have these provisions, uh, you have these wonderful promises of God. Now walk like you are a believer, according to your calling. And if you were to study the other epistles by Paul, he does very similar patterns in each of those books. You say, what's the point here? Where are we getting at? Well, he does the same thing here. In the first, in the seven verses that lead up to these two verses, starting in verse five, he's just presenting, man, look at the, what you have in the spiritual life, what God has given you, what the Spirit has enabled in you and changed in you. You are so blessed. And now that same Spirit is going to empower you to do what God wants you to do in your life. And that's mortify the deeds of the body. Mortify the flesh. Put it to death. Put it to death. So he's establishing for you and I uh, this truth for us about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and how uh, that is demonstrable in the life of a believer. And we've seen from our mind to our peace to our ability now to please God, our liberty to live righteously. And we see that these things of the flesh were displaced by spiritual things or the things of God. And here's the culminating part. Here's where Paul inserts that therefore. Now I'll tell you, as he does this, one of the styles that Paul employs time and time again, I love it, and uh, this is his style of presentation. His style, if you want to say of writing, of lecturing, however you want to describe it, there's different styles, and this may not be an official one, but what you will see repeated time and time again through Paul's writings is this type of uh, presentation. He'll take arguments and points of persuasion, and then he'll follow that up by reasonable or logical outcome or action on our part. So he presents, he presents logical arguments. He presents reasonable points of persuasion. And then he just says, this is natural. This is logical. This is your reasonable service. That's what he does. Paul loves this style. I like it too, frankly. And he just throws it all these points of persuasion, all these arguments out. And it's like, wow, that makes sense. And then you say, okay, now here's what it should do in you. Here's what it should provoke. Here's how it should move you and I. And that's literally what Paul presents to us here. And so what he's about to share in verses 12 and 13 is predicated upon what he's written already in these verses and that of the previous chapters. And so we come to this resulting exhortation in verse 13. And he says this, you must mortify the deeds of the flesh of the body. Literally, he said, this is life. This is spiritual life. You want to be a live Christian? I'm not talking about taking breaths and I'm not talking about having a life in your body. No, no, no. You want to be alive spiritually. Paul says, you've got to mortify the deeds of the flesh. You've got to mortify the deeds of the body. You've got to put sin out and you've got to make sure that there's nothing indwelling you. There's nothing. You've got to mortify. You've literally have to put sin to death. 
a Scottish theologian of old used to say this, if you don't kill sin, sin will kill you. And that's true. It's two ways. Person who's unsaved, listen, you've got to kill sin by trusting in Jesus Christ. He defeated sin on the cross. So it's the only way you're going to defeat it. But I'll tell you, my friend, now that you and I as believers, we are alive in Christ, can sin kill you? Temporarily. Haven't we already established that death is separation? And sin does what to you? It separates you from God. Any taintedness, any type of sin, any type of fleshly indulgence, then in turn, it, 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 it causes us to be separated from God. Literally, if you want to call it a temporary death, the fact is sin kills you and I. It keeps us separated from God. Now, praise be to God. Guess what? The same Holy Spirit that raised God from the dead does the same thing for you and I each and every day. It helps us defeat sin. Helps us to kill sin, to put it to death, if we might describe it as, death, uh, as such. I love, you know the verses. This is very much what Jesus Christ was speaking of in Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee uh, that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Strong language, isn't it? You ever read this and say, ooh, cutting out, plucking out an eye, cutting off an arm, that's crazy. That's strong language. It is. But boy, isn't sin serious? Isn't sin serious? Not only for the unbeliever, but a believer. And how, much, how ludicrous is it, as he's alluding to in verse 12, for you and I to be saved from sin and yet to indulge in sin. To be indebted to it, as he puts it. It's ludicrous. This strong language is necessary. It, it's part and parcel with the ongoing tutorship and, and leadership of the Holy Spirit within our lives that has to take place on a daily basis. We can't tune out the Holy Spirit a few days. We can't ignore His leadership and His guidance and direction. We can't dismiss His ever-present conviction and exhortation when it comes to ridding sin from our lives and getting rid of it, whether it be pride or something else that we are to root out, those fleshly lusts and desires. Hey, Christian, there's no action too drastic. There's no cost too high to keep sin out and spiritual holiness within. There's, there's, no cost, there's no action too drastic. There's no cost too high. See, there's a constant evaluation to the Christian life that may I say too many Christians leave out of their lives. There's a constant evaluation that it has to take place. We are constantly called upon to test many things of our life. You ought to test your speech. You ought to test your, your thoughts, your words, your entertainment, your hobbies, your interest. Every part of your life, you're to evaluate and test it. Is there any sin present? Is there any fleshly lust or desire? It may be a good thing, but the reason I do it may be a fleshly desire. A flesh, you can do good things out of pride. And so we're constantly called upon to evaluate. Now, wait a minute. Am I doing this for the right reason? Is this good for a Christian to do? Am I pleasing to God in this? And my, how so many of us neglect that constant evaluation in our lives. Evaluation. 
And yet when sin is found in any form of, uh, to be within, then you and I are called upon to enlist the Holy Spirit, to call upon the Holy Spirit and His power. And I lean on Him and the power that He provides. And He enables me to root out that sin and, and get rid of it. This is a great truth. Hey, why in the world do we have an RU program? Because this is what I know. The Holy Spirit can help any believer overcome sin. And that's what Paul's getting at. We can mortify the deal. Oh, no, no, no. Pastor Henry, this, this sin, boy, they are way too deep in that sin. And they've been at it for way too long. And there's no way that that sin can be rooted out. Hogwash. Through the Holy Spirit, sin can be put to death. If that's not true, then God is a liar. So Pastor Henry, that's strong. Yeah, it's strong because here's the problem. We too often don't live like we believe it. That we can put any sin to death. Hidden sins, secret sins, outward sins, big sins, little sins. However you want to put a man's evaluation on it. Friend, you and I need to get rid of all sin. We can mortify the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the body. With the Holy Spirit's help. Paul states in verse 10. That the Holy Spirit is the spirit of life. You know what Paul says basically in verse 13? In this way, mortifying the deeds of the flesh, he is the spirit of death. He is the spirit of death. He is death on sin. And you and I are called to mortify these deeds. The flesh. The ungodly evil deeds of the Bible. That's the action that Paul says, okay, you have all this, you, have a, you no longer have a carnal mind, you have peace, you're not at war with God, you have liberty to live a righteous life, man, you have so, much thing, so many things in the Spirit, you're indwelt by the Spirit, you have life, now, therefore, you and I ought to mortify the deeds of the flesh on a daily basis. Let me give you a personal illustration, okay? We read that statement that Christ says and plucking our eye and cutting off our hand and, and the, that seems a little outlandish, but l- l- let's just talk a personal, I'll give you a personal illustration how uh, I've been led in some areas of my life and certainly you have too and any of us could testify to these things. Yet God leads us, the Holy Spirit helps us to mortify uh, things of the flesh. Just an illustration, okay? You may have realized already, you may have picked up on the fact that I like news. I like reading news articles. I really do. I enjoy it. Uh, there's many different reasons why I like to do it. Um, I like to know what's going on in the world. Uh, it provides good sermon illustrations every once in a while, so I like that too. That's helpful. I, I like sports, but I don't have time to watch much, so I get to follow up on sports through articles and just see what's going on. It's also, don't miss this, the news is also a good source of sociology. Well, sociology, well, if you've never taken it in school, it's basically just the study of man. Habits, his thoughts, everything about it. Now listen to me, listen to me very carefully. I am not saying that, the, that news is a good textbook for sociology. What I'm saying is this, news confirms what I have already learned that man is let me just put it bluntly see people mankind would tell us well you need to study the people to learn what they are and how they think and everything else no 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 i don't need that because i have the most perfect textbook on people it's called the bible so all i got to do to know people is study god's word and here's what's neat as i study god's word then i can look at the news you know what the news does it confirms everything the bible says 
pretty neat about it, isn't it? How that person acts and then what happened over here. And I, hey, listen, that's just what the Bible says. I think it was William Gorsuch, he brought me an article in the Netherlands or somebody, they, they've already rolled out, the, they've taken the chip from the credit card and they've already put it in the finger and they're scanning it at doors and everything else and they're already putting medical records in it and everything else. And, and you and I both know, we know that that's coming, don't we? We know that that's happening. And it's like, man, this is just confirming what the Bible already says. See, that's what's neat about it. But you know what? In, in my like for um, news and everything else, I think one of the greatest things is having it on your phone and you get news feeds and it sends you articles and things like that. I love it. I can read it. It's fantastic. I can stay up on what's going on and everything. Well, you know what? Being someone who likes articles and someone who likes sports, I get sports articles all the time. And I used to get them from Sports Illustrated. Then every once in a while, good old Sports Illustrated would send out an article about swimsuits and models. Now, all of a sudden, I've got a dilemma, don't I? All of a sudden, I've got it on my phone or wherever, and, and, and I, I've got something that is obviously not in keeping with a spiritual being. So you know what I had to do? I had to go into my phone, and I had to delete Sports Illustrated from sending me articles. A push, as they call it on phones, for those of you who know some of those things. Stop pushing those articles to my phone. Now listen, did my flesh like that? No way. You know what my flesh says? But think about all the sports articles you're going to miss. Is there really anything bad? What if you just skip over? What if you just don't even look at anything? Listen, can I tell you? Hey, hey, Frank, can I tell you the mortifying the deeds of the body is you and I always being careful that I'm not going to let anything in. The eye gate, the ear gate, anything in that's going to corrupt me or cause me to stumble and fall. So there's things in our lives that are going, no, no, I've got to mortify that. I've got to put that to death. There's other types of news articles. There's other news feeds that I've had to do the exact same thing to. Why? Because this is what I know. Listen, I am a man, and I know that if I am not careful, such articles will affect me. They will get me. And Satan would love nothing more than that. Calls me to have ungodly thoughts. Calls me to desire something that doesn't belong to me. That God never intended me to have. And I'll tell you, man, tonight, some of you need to mortify some deeds of the flesh. What you see on your phone and what you see on your computer, you ought to have blocks. You ought to have things up. They say, no, no, no. I'm not going to put myself into that position. I'm going to mortify the deeds of the flesh. See, when Christ was talking about plucking out our eye or cutting off our arm, listen, listen, let's make it practical to where you and I live today. There are things that I've got to cut out of my life to make sure that I am following through with the Holy Spirit having control, surrender, and submission for me. Mortifying the deeds of the flesh. And yet, can I tell you, you and I can't do that alone. We need the Holy Spirit to enable us, to empower us to do that very thing, same thing. So how do we do that? How do we mortify the deeds of the flesh? In our lives, in different ways, how then do I say, okay, I, there may be some areas in my life where I have let sin, I haven't killed it yet, so how do I do that? Well, here's some simple things. You could probably give me this list, but here's some th simple ways or simple things to fulfill this verse, this action, this, uh, this um, acting upon surrender and submission to the Holy Spirit. Notice it, number one. 
first of all, let me, uh, actually, let me back up here. Okay, here. First, we must be engaged in the continual search for the sins of the flesh in our lives. It's a continual search. What do we mean by that? Well, we already mentioned constant evaluation, but here's the idea in that evaluation, recognizing it, admitting it, exposing it, confessing it, and exterminating it. To ignore it, to ignore sin in our lives, and here we get comfortable, we get a little, uh, sin's okay, and we allow this thing. In other words, it'd be very easy for me to allow some articles on my phone that, that, that would not be pleasing to God, that would be the appearance of evil, that would uh, be there as a stumbling block, and we say, eh, it's, I'll just skip over it, I'm not going to read it, it may have a little picture or something, I'll just, eh. and I could leave it there, and my goodness, my friend, if I just leave a little bit of sin there, guess what happens? I get deluded, desensitized. And that pull is there, and it's constant uh, drawing us in. And uh, it, The Bible says, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. So it's going to entice you. It is. And Satan wants every enticement to be there. And so I've got to mortify some deeds of the flesh. I'll tell you, my friend, it's a whole lot easier to not click on an article that's not on my phone or not on my computer. If it's not there, that's a whole lot easier to not click on it than if it is there. I mean, it's common sense. And that's mortifying the deeds of the flesh. I'm putting it away, man. I don't want to even go near that. That's why an alcoholic shouldn't be in a bar. I mean, we could go down the list. It's, there's very obvious applications and understanding of what is taking place here. What happens if you and I refuse to admit that sin is present? For instance, let's just take a, 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 what we might sometimes consider an innocuous sin, a sin that is left to sit there and fester more often than it's dealt with. Let's take pride. You realize that if pride goes without being dealt with, it will hurt you more, and it will do more damage than it ever could have if you'd rooted it out. You say, well, that's obvious. Yeah, it is, isn't it? But isn't it amazing how, how often sometimes we let sin stay in our lives? A little snippet of pride. A little, a little wrong attitude. A little lack of kindness. A little lack of forgiveness. A, a, a little bit of this. and uh, You name it. You can just put it in there. The sin, whatever it is. A little, a little sexual desire. A, a, a little fleshly this. And we just let a little bit in. We, we just ignore it. And my goodness, my friend, we allow it to do so much more damage than it ever would have if we had just gotten rid of it with the Holy Spirit's help. See, it's... A daily, allowing the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. See if, as, Paul, as David says, see if there be some wicked way in me. And yet that's not enough. You can't just rest and say, okay, Holy Spirit, just reveal it to me. You know what else we have to do? We must actively evaluate ourselves using the measuring stick of God's Word. See, this isn't a passive evaluation, a searching of our hearts. It's a purposeful, a personally active one where I'm searching my own heart. There's two people that know your heart. It's not me, it's you and God. You know your heart. You know what's going on in your life better than anyone sitting in this, these pews do. Better than this pastor does. You and God. And you know what wrong thoughts you have. You know what wrong actions you've done. You know what secret sins you've committed. You know these works of the flesh, these deeds of the body that Paul alludes to that need to be put to death. And my friend, how we steal ourselves or prevent ourselves from having the power of God 
when there's sin present. We don't mortify. We don't put it to death. Using God's word to do so. Notice this verse, and I gave you a heads up a moment ago. Dearly beloved, Peter writes, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. Notice this statement, and we're going to be done here. Notice it. Which war against the soul. And that is a great description. Because Paul has already established for you and I, we have the old flesh that's fighting against us. Peter says, listen, there's a war going on. What do we know that an enemy tries to do in war? Well, an enemy tries to gain ground, right? We're all well aware of ISIS and what they were doing. They were trying to establish a caliphate, okay, or caliphate, the idea of their own kingdom. They're trying to gain. That's what the enemies do. They try to gain ground. They try to gain an advantage. Or they might even do this. They might send spies or their own people, their own enemies behind enemy lines. Can I tell you what your flesh tries to do every day with you? Your flesh is warring against you. He's trying to get you to tell a lie. He's trying to get you to, to, to be angry with your children, with your wife, your, your husband. He's trying to get you to cheat in some way. Your flesh is the enemy. It's warring against your soul. It's fighting constantly. It's the enemy coming after you. That's why Paul says, listen, it's so imperative that you and I on a daily basis, we're searching our heart. We're searching our life. I don't want there to be any sin. I want to mortify the deeds of this flesh. I'll tell you, the flesh can still be powerful as we give it a leash. And it can pull us one way or the other. And that's why we've got to mortify and put to death the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the body. We have an enemy that's attacking on all fronts, trying to make headway. You know what sometimes enemies do? Listen to me, and I'm done. They use camouflage to hide. Making it difficult to recognize and reveal. And so it is with your flesh. Isn't it amazing how well your, your flesh does at reasoning out something or giving excuses? Helping you and I to excuse away and explain away a little pride, a a little anger, a a, a little unkindness, a little lack of forgiveness. Boy, our flesh is so good at camouflaging the, the deeds of the flesh. That's why it's so imperative for you and I to call upon God and the Holy Spirit to aid us. Listen to this statement. Sincere prayer has the great and effective ability to expose sin's deception sincere prayer has the great and effective ability to expose sin's deception and so it is you and i pray and say father reveal help me to know my own heart help me to uh, understand what's going help me to see where i've allowed the flesh to get control and it's boy i haven't seen it it's camouflaged and boy i want to mortify these deeds of the body and the flesh man our god is good to answer us the old testament adage was simply this you remember it consider thy ways and i'll tell you my friend every day in answer to this exhortation to mortify the deeds of flesh, you and I need to consider our ways. It would be good for us to reflect every day. Okay, today, how did I do? What were some things I said that I probably shouldn't have said that was more of the flesh than it was of the Spirit? I need to do better tomorrow. 
What are some things that I did that, that was more like the flesh than it was the spirit? That, that wasn't the spirit in control. That was my old nature in control. And I want to put that to death. That's not going to happen tomorrow. I'm not going to let that go on. I'm not going to let that rule the day anymore. My friend, this is so crucial for our continued submission and surrender to the Holy Spirit is to mortify, mortify, put to death the deeds of the flesh. I hope you and I will take it to heart this week.